Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to On the Continent at the World Cup. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Carlich. On this edition, Argentina have got their final and it might be Lionel Messi's last dance, but he's still got the moves. And we discussed the extraordinary scenes last night and whether another international great might be about to exit the stage just as a special one is about to arrive. And of course, Morocco prepare for their date with destiny and a certain Mbappe. Can they do it? Let's start, of course, with Argentina. Or do we start, of course, Andy, with Lionel Messi? This, some people say, is his World Cup, and he's proving it to be that. Yeah, I do think it's got quite strong shades of Zidane in 2006, to be honest. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have compared it to Maradona in 86. I don't think you can, because... Maradona was the best player in the world at his absolute peak. What is remarkable about this is Messi, as he continues to grow into this World Cup, and that's what he's doing, is Messi past his peak, but he is finding shades of his peak in it, which is exactly what Zidane did if we go back to to, to Germany. Because Zidane, as I've said elsewhere, was on the way down, sort of gradually moving towards retirement for the 18 months before the World Cup. He wasn't playing brilliantly for Real Madrid. He wasn't playing his absolute best for Real Madrid. And there was a sense that it was leaving him. And then at the World Cup, particularly as you get in the knockout stages, Zidane says, this is my moment. This is my tournament. I'm taking it on. And that's what happens. I think as well, what we have to appreciate, and I think when we when we have the greatest of the game. We assume success is one straight line. I think we miss some of the nuance and some of the work and some of the thought that goes in. And I think we'll do that again when we look at the assist of the tournament. And no matter what happens in the rest of the tournament, the assist for the Julian Alvarez goal, second Julian Alvarez goal, will be the assist of the tournament by Messi. And bear in mind that he already had that incredible assist for... Molina against the Dutch. This will be the the assist of the tournament. And it's partly contextual because he takes the best centre-half of the tournament in uh, Joshua Gvardiol, chews him up, spits him out, says, you may be the future, but I'm still the present. And there is something very symbolic about it. But also, David, there's something symbolic about the way that Messi does it. Because success isn't a straight line. 
he has changed, he has evolved. And I think when we, it's, it's always put in a context of Messi versus Ronaldo, isn't it? And the way that Ronaldo's evolved and changed, we can see very visibly, because it is visible, because it's physical, we can see the way he's built his body, become a posh Alan Shearer over the years in the way that he battles defenders because he doesn't have the mobility to get around them. But with Messi, you see that dribble. And I guess in other contexts, you look at it as impudence, the way he beats him once and then stops and then beats him again. But it's because he can't do a 40-yard straight dribble anymore. He hasn't got the legs to do it. It's almost like a hezzy move in basketball, a hesitation, the way you stop and when you stop, you get the defender to stop. You catch him on his heels and then you go yeah. again. So he's he's turned a disadvantage it's, to it's an like, advantage. It's like those penalties when they do the hop, skip and a jump, you know, and the stop. And a, exactly, you know, the, exactly. The goalkeeper's like, yes. oh, should I move now? Should I move then? He's picked his moments really carefully, I think, in this tournament as well. He doesn't need to be charging around. He doesn't. He, he never really has anywhere. But I think as he's got older, as Andy has said, then he's kind of changed his game up in that way. And it was... I think his, I think Messi's um, aging process was always going to be an interesting one to watch, and I think it was always he always had an advantage. If we are going to do the whole Messi Ronaldo thing, I think Messi was always going to have an advantage in terms of how he kind of, you know, matured because he can step back, he can play deeper, he can play a role where he doesn't have to, you know, like like Andy said, do those dribbles. And this Argentina team has kind of throughout the tournament as well as Messi growing at the tournament this Argentina team has grown at the tournament as well and there's different players coming to the team if you look after the Saudi defeat gradually and they've eventually got to this point now Argentina where they've finally got the mix right we've got McAllister who does a lot of the running for this team we've got Enzo Fernandez who played about three different roles last night I think he was a centre midfielder attacking midfielder and a left-sided winger kind of thing and then you've obviously got Alvarez as well so you've got all these other little parts coming together eventually to get the mix right, not only for Argentina, but for Messi. And look, and that's always the key. Messi, Argentina's always had a problem getting the right blend around. They've had some fantastic players during Messi's mm. time on the international stage, but they have never quite got the blend right. It doesn't matter who it is. There was always a debate about which defensive midfielder or which centre midfielder to play. I know there was a big Benega, um, Fernando Gago debate for quite a bit as well. And they could never get it right despite all these brilliant players around. But finally, they've got the right mix. And <laughs> Messi must be looking around and thinking, my word, I wish I was about five or six years younger so I could have a few more years <laughs> well, with yeah. Enzo and Julian Alvarez. But it's kind of the <laughs> feeling he got at Barcelona, wasn't it? Before they essentially kicked him to the curb. Mm. That last six months, Kuman, when... Pedri and Gavi start to become important. Yep. Messi sees something building around him and he thinks, actually, I can, I can see a future here. Why, did, why didn't this happen before? Why it wasn't, mm. Because if you look, I thought Barcelona handled the decline of certain players really poorly. Iniesta, Xavi were kind of run to the ground and there wasn't really a platform in place in terms of their replacements and how, they're, how they are allowed to, I want to say, decline in peace sort of thing. You know, just gradually be phased out in peace and play a role. Um, and, and, you know, they, they were unfortunately weren't able to do that and it almost hurt their legacies a little bit towards the end and I think uh, here Argentina have kind of avoided that basically by surrounding them with the best players You know you're so right to bring in all the other players in Argentina because as much as this has been described as Messi's World Cup let's not forget it's only his World Cup if the rest of the players around him step up to the plate um, So we're talking about Alvarez Lionel Messi was always accused for doing it for his club but not his country yeah, you've got somebody who's doing it for his country, but struggling to get a game at his club. And this this uh, tweet from Alex, who else is looking forward to Pep Guardiola giving Alvarez 
12 minutes in the cup. I don't think that happens because I think that they have to protect Holland, Manchester City. Yeah. They have to and and they he was he was struggling a little bit, wasn't he, physically before he took the a few break. knocks. He took a few bumps, took a few bruises and I think he was feeling a little bit. But don't you think this is going to be part of Holland's development? I know we're going slightly off topic here, but don't you think that's going to be a huge part of Holland's development that they are going to have to work out not to lean on him as heavily as they leaned on Aguero? Oh, of course, because I think they ran in, him into the ground a little bit. And it almost mm. goes back to what the whole previous conversation about, you know, handling players and making sure that they are in the right shame and the right mindset as well. And I think with Alvarez, they've got a perfect tonic to Haaland. And I, I also think, you know, Pep got it in the neck with the handling of Foden as well. There was a lot of people mm. saying about Foden. They were saying, oh, he never plays him, he never uses him right. He, and, and this was very early on. Oh, Foden should leave. We're a waste of time. There was a plan, wasn't there? Yeah, of course there was a plan. Of course there was yeah. a plan. You know, you know, you know. Some you know journalists on on Twitter don't have any clue what's in Pep Guardiola's head. You know, he he's got a plan in place, and he'll gradually put that into in, in action. And we can see it with Alvarez. And I I imagine he'll play a lot in the second half of the season. Interesting though that uh, we're talking about Argentina in this respect, and but you already mentioned earlier on, Andy, that they started off so poorly. What what was it that changed? You know, you you were suggesting that. No, sorry, David, you were suggesting, weren't you, that some new players have been brought in and so on, and things have changed for Argentina from that initial match of the World Cup against Saudi Arabia, which they lost. They've brought the right players in. I think, you know, this is what happens with a team. And not many teams come into a tournament and then from the first game hit the ground running and then maintain an extremely high level throughout the rest of the tournament. You find things out. You find what's working, you find what's not working. They've gradually brought players in. I, I think, and I think... Enzo Fernandez has unlocked this team. I think his utilisation and the fact that he can play three, four different positions. He's played several. He even played as a third centre-back in one of their games yeah. as well. And he played it very, very adeptly as well. Mm. So it's little nuances like that. I thought Paredes has come to the team and he's been fantastic as well. He's performed at Juve. hasn't been particularly special, but he's performed a key part of this uh, team, I thought. With the complicity of the referees who've declined to book him four times a game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think you might add to that. I mean, he, he is Argentinian midfielder par excellence, isn't he? Yeah. Andy, you'd previously compared Argentina with Brazil in 2014, though, with the emotion and, and the pressure that they were under. Uh, surely nobody wants to be compared to Brazil 2014. They were great right up until the moment where they weren't. I mean, we, we talked about how it was all going to be for Brazil and Argentina at the start of the tournament about emotional control. And you felt that that wasn't there, particularly when you look at Messi's goal against Mexico. And still that's the moment that stays with me, the Messi moment that I think stays with me. I think it's the World moment Cup. of the tournament. I, yeah. I, I instantly think it's even more bigger than the, the Gavardio run. I think that really, because Argentina were in a very despondent place then. People were asking questions of them. They'd been rattled by the Saudis. They looked emotionally gone. Messi was trying mm. to rally everybody after. He goes, look, the most important thing we've got here through unity in the group, not through our quality, not through all this. It's through unity. We've got a great group here. Let's stick together. And I think that moment really brought everybody together and said, look, lads, it's not that bad. But don't you feel on the other hand that, this performance against Croatia I, I thought was excellent because from the moment they scored Argentina, they looked in control. They've looked good in little bits of games. They've never really looked in control at any point. It's all been a little bit chaotic. And this, I mean, th this was not only a great semi-final performance and their reference performance in the competition so far it went as well as you could possibly have hoped for as a final preparation because the, the only thing they didn't do that they should have done, in my opinion, is take Messi off and protect him. 
maybe that's because he won't allow himself to be taken <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah. But but you know, Dybala comes on for a little run out, and you're thinking. Gosh, this is like if they had Weverton on the bench, they would have brought him off the bench, <laughs> wouldn't they? It was, it was that kind of yeah, finish. Yeah, it, it was. Do we have to give props though to the Argentina coach Scaloni because he seems to have worked his magic? I mean, the point that you're making there about Messi, I can imagine that he's got the whole of Argentina on his back if he takes Messi off at any point during this World Cup. But this this tweet from Abel, what are your thoughts on Scaloni? Does he have a future at European club level once he leaves the Argentine job? or the Argentina job, or is his skill set best utilised in the international game? And he was the cup price option, wasn't he, for Argentina? Well, they, 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 they always are at international level. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I think that's that's the way it is. Um, but you, you know what? I, I think it's very difficult to tell because he's not a coach of any sort of experience. Uh, and I, I, I think He must be doing something right here. Yeah, managing Messi... <laughs> Very well, and I, I think that that is that is the main I thing so that. far. But you, you know, I, I think when we talk about coaches in the international game and try and transpose it to the club, it's it's just a totally different job. Of course, it, it is nothing yeah. in common at mm. all. No, mm. no, no. Um, I mean, I find it bizarre when people talk. I was talking to someone a, a few days ago who was saying that when Southgate finally leaves the England job. He, you know, which club job would he go into? I can't imagine him going into a club job. Yeah, some some managers just that's just kind of their their mm. remit. That's where they, that's where mm. they are. It's where they're comfortable, and I think it's the case here. And also, just going back to that Scaloni question, look, he gets to manage three of the best up and coming young players in the world. Mm. Potentially, mm. if he stays on, in mm. Lissandro Martinez, Enzo Fernandez, and Julian Alvarez. Yeah. Where are you going to go away, Donna? You know? Lautaro's texting you at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what of Croatia? Should we say a word or two about Croatia? I think we should say a word about Luka Modric, who I thought actually had a better tournament than he did when they got to the final in 2018. He's a better player, as I've said on here before, numerous times. He's a better player now than he was then, which is remarkable. Is he carrying more now, you know, in terms of the people around him? Is he carrying more of Croatia than he was when they got to the final, a, a, a little in terms of experience, I, I, I think so. And you know, he's a great leader. We saw that at every point. I think we saw that after the the game against Brazil, when his first thought was to go over and have a look at his clubmates, to go and see if Rodrigo and Casemiro were were all right. Which is what being a, an elite level sportsman is all about, actually, not just doing it on the pitch, but showing that you're a, a person of substance. I think that's really important. I, I know, David, you've got some thoughts about him carrying on. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him like, be at the Euros. I think he'll definitely be there for the Nations League. But, yeah. uh, and uh, the Euros would not surprise me. I mean, his age is almost like an abstract concept. It's worthless saying how old he is because of the way he's playing. Yeah, he can still play that same role in two years' time, I think. And look, Kovacic is there. And if you look at Kovacic's role, he's a lot more active than Modric in terms of his movement, mobility. So he's he's got somebody beside him. It's not a case of Modric is having to hold everything together on his own. Um, you know, And there's other players in that team as well. Gvardiol will be better player. He'll probably still a big move by then. He'll play at a higher level. And there's there's others as well. So th- th- I think there's a lot of promise there for them and and look they've got that t- I think it would be actually quite a nice way for I mean if you look at this golden generation I hate to use that term um, you know the UEFA Nations League held in Croatia is a lovely way for them to bow out, bow out I think in front of their supporters who they've given a hell of a lot of joy to 161 caps and possibly counting Luka Modric a legend
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. Morocco is still in it. Um... Well, we'll find out for how long by the end of today, if you're listening to the podcast on Wednesday. They're up against France and a lot to talk about there. Can we start off with this tweet, though, from James? Um, slightly off topic, slightly off topic, but nevertheless, please talk about the possibility of Jose Mourinho being the Portugal manager. Can't turn down a bit of Jose talk. They love it. And well, what, what is this? It's, it's, it's been floated in both the Portuguese and the Italian press that there could be a, a, a Roma Portugal sort of job share. I tend to think these club international job shares do not work. Period. Especially when you think of the intensity on and off the field of of, of coaching a club in, in in Serie A. That said, if he wasn't so loved at Roma, I would feel this was the perfect time for Mourinho to take the Portugal job in terms of his career plan, in terms of all the bridges that he's burnt at club <laughs> level, it does feel that, that it's, it's heading towards he that time. He some international bridges now. Yeah, exactly. But I, th- I think, David, when you look at the sort of players that Portugal have, is he necessarily the right coach for them? This is my point, honestly. Um, I think you, make, you said it perfectly. Uh, in terms of his career plan, I think it's lovely timing for him. 
Um, but for the young players who are far more important here, who've got their careers ahead of them, 10 years, 12 years in the national team ahead of them, it's not the right move. I think if you go from Santos to Mourinho, everything for me, it feels very sideways. Mourinho is obviously a far better coach, a fantastic coach, incredible career. But I don't think it's the right move for the young players. I think you need somebody to kind of, you know, let them be a bit more liberal, let them, you know, express themselves better. I agree. I I I think they that they appreciate Fernando Santos, but they're sick of him. So yeah. why are they I mean, talking of Jose Mourinho then? If that's because the case, he's because he's the biggest name out there, yeah. And yeah. Because it would suit him, and because he's putting the word out there that he would be interested in it. So for for me, the ideal candidate, I wouldn't look at Abel, who's won two Copa Libertadores at Palmeiras either, because he's a very defensive coach. To me, the obvious coach for them to go and get would probably be Leonardo Jardim. A, pl- a coach who likes to let players enjoy themselves with the ball, who's not getting them to go on massive runs or anything like that. I think the fact that he puts the technical bit above the physical bit and then trusts that the physical bit will follow would make him a very, very popular coach. I think that. you look at his work with young players as well. Agreed. And that's a massive... And Mbappe being one of those calls. Uh, part yeah. of me was hoping you were going to see Andre villas Boas there as well. <laughs> Is he, is he done His now? Time will have come. We not His time of him will come. Look, look I, I, lo- I love the idea. I just dare not say it out loud. All right, okay. That's what I'm here for. In terms, <laughs> in terms of Jose Marina, can we scotch any thoughts that, you know, the consideration of Jose has anything to do with, however, the Cristiano Ronaldo last act plays out in terms of the, well, the Portuguese the, the, there team? Was, there, was always, so, there was always a little acquiesce between them rather than a, a real love which, I, you know, certainly worked for them at, at Real Madrid. Uh, uh. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable for you to suggest that uh, it takes a personality of a certain substance to finally uh, shuffle him out the international door. Indeed, indeed. Uh, this from Adam, and this is the biggie question for today. What do Morocco have to do to beat France? Uh, do you want to take that first, David? Easy, play that game. Easy? Easy, play their game. That's that. That's the solution. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to win. I'm going to say it's easy. Just focus on your game. What's got you here so far? Play to your strengths. Don't deviate. And fa- wonderfully, the coach and the players have all been saying, look, we haven't got an Mbappe plan. We haven't got a plan for, for this particular player or this particular outcome. They're just going to play their football, their style, because I tell you what, it's served them very, very well so far. Um, and I think they will give France a very good game as well. I think it, in the end, it might be a little bit too much for them, but they're going to give France a really good game, I think. It's not going to be a repeat of uh, of last night. And it's funny because if you think one of the few ways to get at Morocco and what worked briefly for um, Spain, for example, but they never really managed to make the most of it, and Portugal, that long ball over the top, that, that, that straight ball, I think the big problem is if you're putting that ball towards Kylian Mbappe, You've got someone in his great mate, Ashraf Hakimi, who can actually match him in a foot race. Yep, exactly. And actually, Hakimi has been... I know Zidane never fancied him as a right back in a 4-4-2, which is why he sanctioned selling him onto Inter once he came back from that loan at Borussia Dortmund. I think the interesting thing about Hakimi in this World Cup, he's actually looked quite competent defensively, which is not something that I necessarily suspected would become part of his armoury. He's... I think he's relished the chance to be the main star. Mm, I think he yeah. is. He's the you know all the eyes are on him for that, and he's been an incredible leader. 
Mm, yeah, still yeah. a young lad as well. He's really taking the burden on. And I know they've they've got I tell you what, this Morocco team's got several leaders. Don't get me wrong. I think Ziyech leads as well. Sais, Amrabat, who's been one of the players of the tournament. They've all led at different stages in the game. Um but I think for Hakimi, I think he felt a definitely a degree of responsibility being the, the biggest name, the you know, the most illustrious name um in, in that team. Um and he's 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 carried it really well. And of course there is history when you talk about Morocco and France, as there was when Morocco faced Spain, there is history between the countries. And, and as there was when Morocco faced Belgium, this is the third of their colonial relationships that they're about to face. In you're you're absolutely right, Don. It's, it's like they're playing three derbies yes. In, in, yes. In, 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 the, in the same World Cup. Now, there's a lot of chatter in France about how the huge amount of Moroccan fans that will be there and... Moroccan sympathisers, of, of of course, amongst the, the the local fans, how that might have an influence on it because the Moroccan fans have brought atmosphere, been very noisy. I would say that a France are very experienced, and b when you talk about France's relationship with the former colonies and particularly the colonies of the, the Maghreb, North Africa, France have got the form in dealing with this because they've played matches at the Stade de France, against Morocco, against Tunisia, against Algeria. They knew what was coming. Where the majority of the crowd have been booing the national anthem and supporting the other team. So the idea that this is going to surprise Varane, Lloris, Griezmann, they're going to find it difficult. I kind of find nonsense, I've got to say. I think the other interesting thing is, we've talked about the particular relationship that the PSG front three have with the host nation the fact that they're effectively employed by them the relationship between Mbappe and crowds in Qatar I noticed when I was over it's quite interesting because of course there's a degree of ownership almost not just the fact that he's recognized as a world world star but the locals are kind of going yeah he's he's our player really isn't he so I I think there's, there's there's part of that to it as well interesting yeah, of course, the Moroccan coach has been absolutely amazing. He has got the defensive record of the World Cup so far. Um, I think the only goal against him, was that an own goal or something like that? The goal it was. That, it was, yeah. wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was yeah. Yeah. So, wasn't it? Technically, they haven't had a goal against them in you know hostile environments, as it were. Is that enough, though, uh, to be able to stop somehow France scoring? I think so, yeah. And they've also got enough attack and might of themselves as well. You know, I, I honestly think this is very... I'm not giving France particularly, you know, overly favourites. They're not particularly overly favourites for this. I think Morocco can give a lot to this game in both a defensive sense and an attacking sense. And this is the difference here. I think when France play... I know it was, I know it was their B team out there. But when they played Tunisia, they gave up a lot of chances. Against England, they also gave up chances as well. Even against the Poles, they gave up chances. Now, Morocco's got a lot of quality in the final third. I think you've got three players in Bufal and Naziri and Ziyech who can really rip you apart. I'm talking two, three pass moves and they will cut through you. Um, so I think France need to be given a lot of thought to what Morocco's doing as well. A lot of the conversation that I've looked at the past days is, is how do Morocco deal with France? I think, honestly, France need to give some thought about how they deal with those players. I think the interesting thing is France are going to have probably twice as much possession as they had against England. So that creates a different pressure, doesn't it, to, to make the game. Yeah. With that said, we talk about the lack of chances that are really created against Morocco. And Port- Portugal did have a few. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought Bono had a good game. 
I think what we saw with France against England, I don't really need to create that much yeah. to, to take that. And Mbappe doesn't need to be in the game for them to win it against well, top-class yeah. opposition. Yes. Yes. So I, I guess that's the slight difference between France, who are a level up from Spain and Portugal, with all due respect to those sides. I was going to say Morocco had the kind of acid test against Spain, didn't they? Mm. To play against a team who's going to have a lot of possession. You're not going to play against a team who has more than Spain. Yes. So they've had a really nice little test and a nice blueprint for that. Um, they've got a particular way of playing and that's why I said to answer your initial question that's why they should play to their strengths and play the way that they have uh, played so far Yeah, it, it makes absolute sense the way that you say it now but if France if to keep to stop Mbappé uh, being in the game or to keep him out of the game surely you need how many people on him um, and as far as we know at the moment in any case we've got some notable absentees from the Moroccan uh, team um, including their centre-backs, Nayef Agud and Roman Saiz and the Bayern left-back Nusay Mazrui. That sounds like it's going to be hard for them to even concentrate on trying to stop that left wing well, operating for Mbappe. Akea won't play, um, but I, I think the other two might make it. I, I mean, it's, it's a World Cup semi-final. Any, anyone who's basically got one and a half legs is, is, is going to play. I think the notable thing, and when you look about Regragui and his excellent coaching. It's, it's not really about the individuals. I don't think anyone says at the start of the World Cup, you know, my defence is going to be rock solid if I've got Roman Saiz in it. With with all respect to him, you know, he's a good player, but, you know, he's, he's not one of the leading defenders in the world or anything like that. It genuinely is, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but they're incredibly compact and the amount of work that they get out of all those individual players is remarkable. It's particularly remarkable when you think that Regragui has been in charge for eight games, after taking over from Vaid Halahodzic, who created like just mayhem, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that to that's be what, yeah, because he's a really confrontational character, and and then some. I think this is the bit where I have to put in about when he was at Trabs on Sport, and Flora Maluda told his teammates that he was going to go and complain to Halahodzic about how he wasn't getting enough game time and came out of his office 10 minutes later with a ripped shirt and a black eye. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think you can kind of live without that at an international level. And if you think the way that Ziyech, for example, who said, well, I'm never going to play again, exactly. I'm never going to play international football again under this yeah. guy. I think you look at those wide areas. You look at Buffal. You look at... It's been amazing. You look at Ziyech. Yeah, but not just on the front foot. Mm. Yeah. Like the amount of defensive work yeah. they've got out of them, David. Players who you wouldn't really expect to is if, extraordinary. If Buffal had played like this throughout his career, mm. he'd be a PSG right now for mm. a 60, 70 million signing. He really, really would. And the it? ability's there, isn't it? Yeah, oh God, it is. Yeah. He's, a, he's an extraordinary player. I read, it was funny, I was reading a piece in The Athletic the other day with uh, Wama Lilo, um, and it was really, really good read, and it was funny enough. And he said, Buffal, by the way, whoa. What a player. He's been amazing. He's got the tricks and everything like that. And I think he's been part of what takes Morocco to another level. And that's what's attracted them to become the everybody's second favourite team at the very least. They were hoping to bring about 45,000 Moroccans to this game and apparently had booked flights for many of their fans to come over. We know what an important part, as Andy touched on earlier, the fans make to this team. But I hear that they're not going to be able to fly as many people from Morocco over uh, to Qatar for this match as they expected. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, apparently Qatari authorities have uh, cancelled a lot of those flights. Um, people are going to get their money back and such. But uh, yeah, they're not going to be make it. But 
look, look. Have you heard Morocco's fans so far? Don't worry. If there's if there's twenty if there's twenty or thirty thousand in one of those stadiums, they will sound like sixty or seventy thousand. <laughs> yes. They and, really will. And I suspect that some of those French fans might be thinking, actually, I'm Moroccan. <laughs> the Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.